This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 2. When you're preaching through a book of the Bible, there are certain texts that really are pillar texts within the greater text, within the greater book. And it's one of those things as a preacher of the gospel that you wish the entire church could be there for it. We've got folks traveling, others that for other reasons can't be here tonight. But I wish we could all be here. And, and I hope that you'll encourage those that aren't here tonight. Get back on our website, listen uh, to these messages. But th- this is just one of the texts that, and you'll understand, I think, as we work through the message tonight, just why it is so important. Our study in Acts finds us in one of the most exciting passages, I think, in Scripture. As the Holy Spirit indwells Jesus' early followers and the church of Jesus Christ is born. In the fullness of time, Christ Jesus was born, became the crucified and risen Lamb. It won't be long and we'll be celebrating Christmas again also. Jesus grew and went to the cross to be our Savior Now, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, again, one of those times in God's calendar where it's it's just an important, very important date. In the fullness of time, Pentecost happens. The promised Holy Spirit would then empower believers to take the message of salvation through His power to the world. Jesus had come to dwell among men and save them. Now his Holy Spirit comes to dwell in men and empower them for gospel proclamation. I'm speaking to mainly Christians tonight. Each of you is indwelt by the Holy Spirit and indwelt for a primary purpose according to Acts 1.8 and that is to witness of Christ, our missions theme right? To witness of Christ. And of course, part of that is the indwelling spirit growing us into the image of Jesus to help us be ready for heaven. But you know what, folks? It's not just your lips that proclaim the gospel. It needs to be your life as well. And the indwelling spirit enables you to do that. And so 2,000 years later, And 5,973 miles from Jerusalem as the crow flies. Where it all started. Here we are. You realize our gathering tonight is proof positive of the indwelling of the Spirit of God. How do you explain that something happened almost 6,000 miles away that the impact is being felt in a place called Chesapeake, Virginia? How do you explain it? The indwelling Spirit of God. Here we are. So here's what I believe God wants us to see tonight. What happened at Pentecost has happened to you, Christian. You're indwelt by the Spirit. So the powerful work that started at Pentecost 
might continue through you. And what a great reminder as we get into the holidays because many of you will be around family members who need to know Jesus as Savior. I've entitled the message tonight, Evidences of Pentecostal Power. Evidences of Pentecostal Power. And within the beginning verses of chapter 2, you're going to see these evidences, and we're going to then draw some application later that the same evidences you can still see because you are indwelt by the Spirit of God. So what are these evidences? Well, the first evidence of power at Pentecost was the timing. Are you taking notes tonight? All right. Uh, take out your cell phone and send yourself an email, but make it sermon notes, all right? We're going to look at some things that about the timing of Pentecost that encourages us, thrills us, that this, in fact, was the work of God. So the first evidence, the timing. Look at chapter 2 and verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come. You want to make a note of that word, fully. When the appointed time was completely filled up. There had been many Pentecosts, right? Many in Jewish history. But this one was the fulfillment of all the rest of them. They all pointed to this one. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And again, we believe that was the Temple Mount, as is evidenced by what happens later when, when people rush to see what is going on. And then, of course, Peter preaches that famous message. So there was something significant about the timing of this Pentecost. The word Pentecost means 50. We're talking in new members class today. What does the word tithe mean? Tenth. What does the word Pentecost mean? Fifty. Old Testament Pentecost happened 50 days after Israel sacrificed the first Passover lamb in Egypt. You remember that when that happened, then the Lord struck down, killed the firstborn, wherever blood wasn't applied to the door, and literally Egypt thrust Israel out. Get out. And of course, the Red Sea crossing and, and so on. So, the Passover lamb, they left Egypt and arrived at Mount Sinai. When did they arrive there? 50 days after Passover. New Testament Pentecost took place 50 days after Jesus was crucified and rose again. Did you ever realize that? 50 days. He spent 40 days with his disciples, Acts 1-3, and 10 days uh, then later he ascended, Acts 1 and verse 5. And then 50 days, Pentecost happened. Old Testament Pentecost celebrated the birthday of Israel. Exodus chapter 19 and verse 5. So Israel's at the, at the base of Mount Sinai. And, and the Lord says, okay, if you will keep my law, okay, I make this covenant with you and you will be a lasting nation. And, and really in a sense, that was the, the birthday 
of Israel. New Testament Pentecost celebrated the birthday of the church. Pentecost was also celebrated by the Jews 50 days after the Feast of First Fruits. Now you'll recognize that because Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection chapter, talks about how Christ was the first fruits of them that slept. So, again, after the Lord's resurrection, 50 days later, Pentecost. Therefore, the church has worshipped on Sunday not only because it's resurrection day, but because it is when the church was born. Don't miss the fact that the Lord times things perfectly. Numbers matter to Him. And the numbers communicate to us, as we saw this morning, He's in control. And things are right on schedule, not just random, oh, it happened. No, He determines the very day, numerically the very day that it's going to happen. Finally, Old Testament Pentecost witnessed the mighty presence of God. Children of Israel at the base of Mount Sinai, they're looking up. Remember, Moses went up to get the law. But the Bible says that when God came down, fire descended on that mountain. Now note the parallel. New Testament Pentecost witnessed the mighty presence of the Holy Spirit as He descended on the saints with tongues of fire. Now, would you agree with me that's not just a coincidence? That's God. His mighty timing. Now, this leads us then to verse 2, verses 2 and 3. Along with the timing, the second evidence of power at Pentecost was the Holy Spirit's mighty entrance. His mighty entrance. Verse 2, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven like a mighty uh, wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Let's take a closer look. That sound is the Greek word echos. It's where we get our word echo. Okay. It's also used, though, in Luke 21-25, for the roar of the sea. So when we, hear that, when we see here, we read that there was a sound. Okay. It was the noise of, of the sea. I love the ocean. I love being out there and hearing that roar. That's the idea of what happened here. Uh, from heaven, like a mighty rushing wind, the word for wind here is the same word for spirit. Same exact word, not by accident. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. Now, not only did those in attendance hear something, they also saw something. Verse 3, And there appeared unto them cloven or divided tongues, like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. Now, that's important. Each of them. In other words, no believer was excluded. You know there are churches that teach that when you get saved that you may or may not receive the Holy Spirit. There are also those that teach that if you're a Christian and you sin, you can lose the Holy Spirit. I have counseled, I remember one dear saint 
uh, up in years that had been raised in a church where that's what this person had been taught. And even in their older age, they loved the Lord, clear salvation testimony. They were worried that maybe at some point in the past they had lost the Holy Spirit. No, no, no. Once you receive him, he stays with you forever. Okay? But here we're reminded that every believer, every one of them, received the Spirit. And here was the powerful result. Verse 4, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. His coming, then, was for the purpose of controlling believers. You know why you're indwelt by the Spirit of God? He not only wants to control you, He intends to control you. And that's why in Ephesians we're commanded, don't be drunk with wine, where it is excess, but be being filled with the Spirit. And that word means be controlled. It's to be a constant thing as well as a corporate thing in, in, in the sense that every Christian, every one of us, you young people, adults, children, if you know Christ, you are supposed to be being filled, a constant with the Spirit of God, controlled by Him. And also here note that the first thing impacted when they were controlled by Him was their speech. You know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. All I have to do is open my mouth, all you have to do is open your mouth, and everybody gets to know whether or not you're spirit-controlled. I think I've shared this before. My sweet wife, I thank God for, she's a better preacher than I am. Okay, some of you say, well, I already knew that. But anyway, all right. There are times that I struggle, and I'll be saying something, not spirit control, and she'll say something like, you know, I heard a message on that one time. <laughs> Ugh, I hate when she does that. She also said one time, and she was just being sweet. We, we were having one of those seasons where things were going well. We were rejoicing in the Lord. And she looked up at me and, and sweetly said, Honey, I can always tell when you're spirit-filled. You know what that interpreted was? And I can always tell when you're not. But if you're spirit-controlled, it's going to be evidenced by what comes out of your mouth. When the heart overflows, everybody gets to know, Christian. By the way, if you're not a Christian, you open your mouth, that's the way everybody knows too. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth is going to speak. And so, those spirit-controlled, the first thing impacted, according to this text, is their speech. Notice as the verse goes on, and they began to speak with other tongues. Now let's take a look at that word tongues. It's the Greek word glossa. It refers literally to the human tongue. Now I don't want to be morbid here, but you realize if you didn't have your tongue, you couldn't speak. The tongue is what helps to form your words. It's what's used here. Used to help make words, and this is that word glossa is the basis, for instance, our word glossary. What is that? Well, it's a collected explanation of words, a glossary. Okay, 
So this can only mean one thing. And as Vine points out, this was the supernatural gift of speaking in another language without its being learned. It's what it was. And there's clear evidence of that here in the text. It's not ecstatic gibberish. It's not emotional nonsense. Uh, I'm amazed there are Christians that still think that that's what tongue speaking is. Not if you know the Bible, it's not. Okay. So here's more proof that the Holy Spirit controlled them. Look at the end of verse 4. As the Spirit gave them utterance. As the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, Acts 1.8, He gave them utterance for what purpose? Ye shall receive power as the, when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Ghost comes upon you, and ye shall be witnesses. Does that not involve words, message, words forming message to witness of Christ? Of course. All right, so the context tells us, and here's, here's what we have to ask. What were they saying? Holy Spirit comes on them. They begin to, to speak in tongues, glossa. What were they saying? Well, the context first tells us indirectly. Remember Acts 1.8. We just talked about it. You shall be witnesses of me. All right, so what they were doing, they were praising Christ and witnessing of him. Now, let me just have you jump ahead to verse 11, and here's more evidence. Later, we're going to see that all the crowd on the Temple Mount, they hear the sound on the Temple Mount. It sounds like rushing water, something like that. And they all rush towards, where is this at? What is going on? And as they get closer, they start hearing things in their own languages. And here's what verse 11 says. We do hear them speak in our tongues, what? The wonderful works of God. There you have it. In other words, these spirit control, they've just re received the Holy Spirit. They're controlled by Him. They're uttering praise. And what are they praising God for? The works of God, namely, through what Jesus Christ has done in providing salvation. His death, burial, and resurrection. That is what they were praising God for. That's what all these unbelievers, they're worshiping, these Judaizers, that's what they hear. So what is the proof that you are spirit-controlled? Well, along with the fruit of the Spirit... You are a consistent witness of Christ. It's right here. You did that tonight, by the way, as you sang these hymns. Pastor Ned talked about the theology and the, the, the substance of our hymns. You, you did that tonight. You testified of Christ as you sang, uh, and, and hopefully your heart was in it, but only your heart was in it if your spirit controlled. But the real evidence of whether you're controlled by the Spirit or not is when you get out in the world this week and you're around people who don't know the Lord and the Holy Spirit who is given to you to witness to them 
prompts you, and real spirit controls whether or not you're going to yield to him and tell them about your Lord. So this is where the title of this sermon series comes from. Gospel power, global impact. It starts right in this, in this text. Notice the immediate impact of the Spirit's witness through these believers. Okay? The third evidence of Pentecostal power. Well, the first one was timing. Significant. The other one was this mighty entrance. He comes down, and, and it's not only evidenced in these believers who now are spirit-indwelt and controlled, and, and, and the sound takes over the Temple Mount. By the way, that Temple Mount, that's not just a small little patch of stone. That entire Temple Mount, the Temple Mount that this happens on is 20 acres. Okay? That's where Herod's Temple Sat. There was a lot of room up there. Uh, how, just how big is it? Well, again, later we're going to see Peter preaches. 3,000 people come to the Lord. You can fit a lot of people up there. And so they come rushing together. So there's this mighty entrance. But here's the third evidence. Pentecostal power. There is a mighty drawing of sinners. A mighty drawing of sinners to the gospel. Look at verse 5. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men. Simply means that they were religious. Uh, these were Jewish proselytes uh, from all nations <laughs> under heaven, as well as the Jews themselves. Devout men out of every nation under heaven. And so the Holy Spirit used the timing of His coming his mighty entrance, and now his mighty drawing through yielded saints to impact those from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. They're all up there. Verse 6, now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together. They've not only heard the sound, but now people are starting to spread the news. There's something going on in that direction. And, and as, as, the, as the, the news spreads, the crowd grows, they begin to move in that direction. And the Bible says they were confounded, perplexed. They were troubled in mind because that every man heard them speak in his own language. Now think about that. This doesn't make any sense. How is it that these Jews are speaking, and we all understand it. It wasn't just what they heard, though. It was what they had heard in praise to the risen Savior. Again, think about the end of verse 11. And who they were hearing it from, verse 7. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how here we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born, the language we were raised with, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, the dwellers of Mesopotamia, Judea, uh, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, all the way down in Egypt, 
And in the parts of Libya, North Africa, about Cyrene, strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. And in just case you're wondering, nobody's left out here. What is the Holy Spirit doing? When he says all nations, now he's telling you exactly who's there. They're all there. And we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. Verse 12, And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? You want the modern translation? What in the world? Okay, that's what they're saying. Verse 13, But watch, others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. Simple translation, they're drunk. New wine, the strong uh, wine still in the process of fermenting. It's amazing and instructive that in mere moments where God is working, there is already opposition and open ridicule to the gospel. That's instructive. Don't be surprised that when there is a mighty working of God, immediately there's going to be opposition. The clear evidence of the Spirit's power here is labeled as drunkenness. Yet, we'll see that the empowered gospel likely conquers even some of these critics. So, these are the evidences of Pentecostal power. And I want to leave you with this tonight. When we think about timing... We think about a powerful entrance, okay, and then the drawing of the Lord. When you consider this evidence of the Spirit's indwelling, you can take this message, those points, and you can go through the book of Acts, and you can attach them to situation after situation after situation, and that's exactly what the Holy Spirit continues to do. So let me give you a quick example. Later, we'll read about two missionaries in a prison in Philippi, Paul and Silas. Now think about this. Here they are, and there is God's timing. Now there's also opposition, and we see that over and over. It happened here, and it's going to happen through the book of Acts. But God's timing. So here they are in the city, there is a demon-possessed girl who begins to follow around, and you know she's really a distraction because people who are hearing the gospel through these spirit-controlled men, they're wondering, what is going on? I'm, we're hearing this message, but we know her. How's this connected? Because she's agreeing with their message. That's a problem. We know her. Who are these guys? Okay. And Paul has had enough, and he turns, and in the name of Jesus Christ, casts the demon out of this, this girl. Well, that caused the, own, the, the owners of this girl, who were using the demon possession to, to get gain, money, from this, now they don't have that asset anymore. Uh, they trump up charges, uh, and, uh, you know, Paul and Silas are beaten and thrown into, into jail. Okay, so, th so think about this. 
Perhaps it would look like the timing of this is all wrong. It's no, it's not. It's exactly what God wanted. So timing. And then there's a mighty entrance. These guys are praising the Lord. And you'll remember, and Frank Garlock used to, I remember him saying this. These men are singing to the Lord, and the Lord starts singing too. Well, how do we know? There was an earthquake. I don't think the Lord was singing, but the timing. There's an earthquake. All the doors of the prison are flung open. But what was the Lord doing all the time? There was a mighty drawing from the Spirit of God. How do we know? Well, the jailer is going to kill himself because he figures somebody has escaped and they're going to kill me for allowing this to happen. Paul, in that darkness, again, just God, somehow in that darkness, he sees what the jailer is doing and he, he, he tells him to stop. And what's the next thing out of the jailer's mouth? What must I do to be saved? That's Holy Spirit drawing. And you'll remember that that night, this man who probably was involved in the beating of these missionaries, he comes to Christ and his whole house gets saved and baptized. Okay. And you, you can apply that over and over to the different things that happen in the book of Acts. Now let me give you a personal example of this. And I only share this tonight, not because any, anything... Uh, to do with me, but this is what the Holy Spirit does. And I uh, have shared this at other times, and it's just a, a powerful example of what we're looking at here. In the first department where I was a police chaplain, there was a man that, um, that I struck up a friendship with uh, early on. His name was Bill. Bill was a big guy. In fact, I don't know how Bill got inside the police car. He was just a big guy. And Bill and I would ride together, and I always tried to turn the conversation to the theme of themes, to talk about Jesus. And it was, it was easy to do, and I still do this today. You're, you're riding with a police officer, and you end up talking about aspects of God's law that they're, they're supposed to enforce. And so I just say, so what do you think about this? And they'll tell me what they think, and then invariably they'll say, so, chap, what do you think? <laughs> Open door. Okay. And over and over this happened. And, and I'd get to share the gospel with Bill. All right. So, again, think about what we've, we've seen. Timing. And many times I'd show up there, and, and, you know, the only guy to ride with was Bill. Small department. So I get to share the gospel with him. I'd always pray, Lord, Spirit of God, control me, fill me, so that in these settings I can, I can share a gospel witness. One afternoon, the conversation turned to this, and Bill, in frustration, hit the wheel of the police car, and he said, I told myself we weren't going to talk about this. But when I looked at him, he had a grin on his face, so I knew he wasn't completely serious about that. What I didn't know is, okay, so you talk about timing. The entrance of the gospel. 
God's power working. What I didn't know at the time is that Bill had a brother in Michigan who was a chaplain in a prison over there. His brother was witnessing to Bill too. I didn't, I didn't know that. And so here is now the mighty drawing. One day the phone rang and it was one of the police officers in our church. A, a good friend, uh, his name's Mike, and Mike called me and said, hey, I don't know if you knew, but Bill had a stroke. He had a stroke, yeah, he's in the hospital, neighboring town. And uh, so Mike and I got in the car, drove over to see Bill. And there at his bedside, uh, we got to have prayer with him, witness to him. Um, and then it was, it was right at the end of my time pastoring in that town. We were getting ready to move. But there was one last police event where they were honoring some officers and they were honoring Bill. He had to retire, medical retirement, because of what the stroke did to him. And so I went up to Bill afterwards, after they honored him, and I, and again, so here, here's me and here's Bill, big Bill, okay, and I went up and I shook his hand and I said, Bill, we're going to miss you around here. I said, you're a good cop. And he held on to my hand. And he bent down and as if he, he didn't want too many people to hear this, he said, Mike, I'm a baby Christian. I'm not a good one, but I'm a baby Christian. <laughs> I was like, Bill, what happened? Well, here's what happened. And then, again, this is the mighty drawing of God. His brother in Michigan had died and gone to be with the Lord. I, I didn't know. But before he died, his brother packaged up his Bible and mailed it to Bill. And Bill, after a stroke, took his brother's Bible and he starts reading through the Bible and he's reading the notes that his brother had written in there. And, this, and Bill's telling me all this. I'm reading my brother's notes. God worked in my heart and I prayed and accepted Jesus as my Savior. Wow. All right. So there you go. Indwelt by the Holy Spirit. His timing. How he works in those situations. And then how he draws souls to himself. And for those of you that are spirit-controlled and have been a witness of Christ, you can probably tell similar stories. So these verses in Acts chapter 2 are really a template of what the Spirit does. How many of us have read this account in Acts 2 and thought, wow, that was an exciting, powerful beginning? Stop! Yes, it was, but it is what the Holy Spirit intends to do in all of us who are indwelt by Him if we will let Him control us. There it is. Question, is God the same yesterday, today, and forever? Does that apply to the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit of God? Absolutely. Well, He worked, he worked differently at the beginning. No, He didn't. This was not just a good start, a flash in the pan. There's an old expression. 
I, it, it wasn't just that. It's what the Holy Spirit intends to do throughout this church age for those of us who are dwelt by Him and will yield ourselves to Him. So, these are also evidences that the Holy Spirit intends for us to see today. I don't mean that we're going to speak in tongues. That has ceased. But we will see His working in the timing of our gospel witness, the mighty evidence of His working in hearts, and then drawing some to listen and receive the truth, including some who initially will oppose you. The Spirit's indwelling is not in question. But here's what's in question for, for me and for each of us. We're indwelled, but are we controlled? Powerful, but He is not going to force you to be controlled by Him. You have to choose that. You have to yield. So may we yield to the Spirit's control so the powerful evidences of His presence might cause others through us to come to Jesus. That really is the application of this text as we rejoice in what God has done. So powerful evidences of Pentecost. And God intends for those evidences to be evident in us today. Let's pray. Father, what an exciting passage of Scripture. Lord, you want to work mightily through us in the same way even now. And Lord, we do know, if we're honest, as we've read the lives of missionaries, even in our churches, as we look at some who love you, walk with you, and are constantly witnessing for you, Lord, as they go forth bearing the precious seed, they do come again rejoicing with their sheaves. Lord, it can happen to any one of us. It is not our personality, it is not whether we're bashful or, or outspoken. If we're indwelt by the Spirit of God and yielded, and we dare to declare the powerful gospel, there is going to be fruit. Lord, what an encouragement to us in these dark days. But these days aren't any darker than the Roman days that the apostles and the early church served in. So God, we need to trust you. Tonight I pray that you will help us to commit to being spirit-controlled. We're already spirit-indwelled, but being spirit-controlled children of God. Work now in these uh, final uh, minutes that we have together, I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.